Welcome to episode six of Behind the Business podcast, the music industry podcast hosted by me, Danny Champion. This episode is my conversation with Leon Alexander. Leon is the co-founder of Hope Management, independent management company specializing in electronic artists. And since 2011, it's been part of Red Light Management. Now, I met Leon when I moved to Bristol back in 2016. Um, in meeting various new people in a new city, Leon has been really, really great. He's been really forthcoming and just really insightful to have as a contact and as a resource. He welcomed me into his home for this chat and we talked pretty much about everything that his career has involved, um, paying close attention to just the management side of things and what that's like these days and how he's seen it develop. Um, so enough of me, sit back and listen to my conversation with Leon Alexander from Red Light Management and I'll be back at the end. like at the moment in music management uh, it's good it's good um, it's always a hustle obviously and um, but once you're rolling I mean the toughest part is always getting an act off the ground once you've done that uh, then everything kind of keeps moving in a good solid direction generally mm -hmm. yeah so the hard works at the start so um, lucky enough to have a couple of established clients it is pretty good yeah yeah is there anything specific um that's going on at the moment that is kind of not necessarily changing the game but for someone who's kind of yeah. been doing it yeah. for as long as you have yeah. been you know at the moment is there things that you're kind of having to think more about as a manager or is it broadly just tweaking the the things that you've been doing um, since the beginning there's always changes and what makes the job so exciting, uh, not just management, but really the whole process of being in the business is the fact that it's constantly evolving, it's constantly changing and it's constantly being driven by technology normally. Um, so you do look at, you know, we're about to start an album campaign with a client uh, so we're sort of planning the next 18 months ahead. And that campaign definitely looks different than the first album campaign of his three years ago, I guess. And a lot of that will be down to relationships with people like Spotify, for instance, or relationships with people like YouTube, mm -hmm. um, which maybe weren't as detailed or as discussed in the first album. So yeah, it's definitely always changing and you've got to be aware of who the players are and who the people are you want to have on board. Mm -hmm. um, how much are you, from your position, are taking note of 
all the various things like Spotify going public and stuff like that? Um, is that is that something that doesn't really bother you, or do you? In kind the of short, keep one of those one things. On one of those things. You definitely keep an eye on it because obviously the key is to have as much understanding of you know the key about being a manager is uh, is knowing broadly how each section of the business works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think in the short term there won't really be much of a knock-on effect um, in terms of getting music out there and getting it distributed and getting it playlisted. In the long term, obviously, things are likely to change and you would suspect that maybe new owners will come on board or people start buying chunks of the company, which could then change the direction that company would be going in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you obviously keep an eye on it. But it doesn't, but it doesn't ultimately, ultimately, ultimately in the short term, it's not going to have a massive you effect. You just go, okay. You kind of go, okay. Yeah, and it's like when... <laughs> Um, you know, when you're trying to get things playlisted on the radio, you're constantly keeping an eye on the way Six Music or Radio 1 or Radio 2 or any of the important stations, uh, the way they're changing things around and how, how they're changing their programming schedule and, you know, what new producers coming in. And so you have to kind of be aware of all the different facets to a certain degree. But then you also, part of your job is to build a team and to make sure the record company are building the right team so that they have experts in all those fields too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you don't have to know everything. You just have to know people who know everything, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not what you know. It's who you uh, know yeah, that no, that's sort of what stuff. it's about, really. Yeah. The company that you're with, Red Light Management. Yes. Um, how long have you been? We've been there? with Red Light now for seven years. Seven years. Yes. And was it? It was a company that you started. So prior to that, we were, or we kind of still are, we never went away, but we um, we started off as a record label, and a, I mean an actual record label with actual records uh, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, had a client who blew up quite quickly, became his managers, this is my business partner and I, we're running out of my spare bedroom just around the corner in Bristol, and... Um, Became his managers, then sort of evolved into a management company, took on more clients as that happened. So you evolved into a music manager after going, let's put out some records. Well, yeah, because actually what I really wanted was to run a record label and that, and I'd had a couple of smaller starts prior to that um, when I was a student and I was something I was, I was always kind of coming out of the dance music thing. I was always just putting out records, Mm -hmm. you know, I was finding stuff I liked that people were doing in studios in Bristol and finding the money to finance it, um, normally through student loans, and then um, and then putting them out. And then mm-hmm. just carried on in that kind of way. Um, and then I was a promoter in parallel to that, so I was putting on parties in Bristol as well that was sort of connected to the label, or, you know, so there was always a sort of connection. Uh, and then I finished promoting entirely and went full-time on a record label, got a grant from the Bristol Enterprise Development Fund, who I think still exist, right, and down at St Paul's, who will fund you if a bank has turned you down, nice. if you have a decent business plan, and um, set that up, and then evolved into a management company because realised quite quickly, there's a, lot, a there's more money in it clearly, okay. <laughs> um, especially if you're nice, who suddenly blows up, but also because. If I'm honest, we'd made a couple of, you know, we were quite naive. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were just going for it. And we'd signed this artist on and then realised actually we just signed away all the rights of our most successful client. So all kind of got together and this client wanted to continue to work with us. Right. So we became his managers and we had we'd never done it before. Didn't, yeah. We didn't really know what to do. Um, and if you have an artist that suddenly blows up, if you're lucky enough to be in that position and 
quite often young managers can be in that position, then you learn on the job, mm-hmm. you know. And so we ran that management company until, you know, for 12, 13 years, and then were approached by Red Light Management, who are a big American management company, who dealt, I mean, they're huge, and they were huge then, but they dealt primarily with country, Christian rock, real kind of Midwestern American stuff, knew they wanted to broaden their horizons, could see that the dance music uh, thing hadn't fully connected in the US, but was about to. Mm-hmm. We'd done an awful lot of stuff in the US, touring, you know, working as DJs. You know, a lot of the stuff that we were putting out on this label was connecting the US more than anywhere else. So we started talking and then um, uh, became part of Red Light and helped them set up the Red Light Electronic Division, who now manage a very broad range of huge DJs. Yep. Um, and carried on from there, yeah. What's it like having a multinational American business kind of umbrellaing what you're well, doing? Well, actually, after? it's really good because we're left entirely to our own devices. Um, no one, you know, no one really cares um, who we manage as long as the money's coming in. Right. Um, and the so way red light... So, so do you reckon... You're, you're in a very privileged position having a company that's kind of supportive enough financially but allows you to... Massively, and, yeah. And massive, rolling with massive, you. And it would yeah. be completely different if there was loads of micromanagement going on. Yeah. And that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, there's no micromanagement going on. That's the thing. And um, ultimately... You know, Red Light has, I don't know, there's 150 managers or something across the world. Yeah. And each manager has their own roster and they're left their own devices. The big difference and the big positive for us is the effect of working with Red Light meant that we could move away from the dance thing a bit because I'd been involved in dance music since 1989 or something and I was just, frankly, a bit tired of it yeah. uh, at the time. I still have electronic clients and... Um, you know, I shouldn't, I, you know, I'm actually not tired of it again now, and I was at the time. I actually wanted to freshen things yeah. up. And so it enabled us to manage non-dance acts, because suddenly I'm Leon from Red Light rather than Leon from Hope, um, broadened our horizons. And then, but the big difference for me is that, especially being based in Bristol, because there is still a disadvantage to that. When I'm trying to get hold of someone on the phone, Leon from Red Light, people will pick up the phone because everyone's working with artists from Red Light and Leon from Hope. Often do you think busy. you would have done the deal if the terms had been different? So if, if it was a bit more micromanaged, if you became an employee... I think it would have been different. I think it would have been different. You yeah, wouldn't have just I, done it yeah, for the sake yeah. of it. Yeah, I think... Um, um, I mean, we did it for a bunch of different reasons, but I um, you know, I specifically... You know, personally, I specifically didn't move to London. I specifically didn't go and join a large organisation. I specifically wanted to just do my own thing and mm-hmm. indulge my whims and try and make it work and this has allowed us to kind of have the best of both worlds yeah you know are they a, co- a red light company that are still looking to expand because they're, they're always looking to expand i mean they they bought numerous management companies they then bought a management company in london that became the london office and james sandham and everyone and they um you know obviously they manage bastille and um they manage a ton of people mm-hmm. um and they are always kind of looking for new, you know, if they can see independent management companies um, are evolving fast and well and, you know, but need that additional, you know, then absolutely, yeah, I believe they are, yeah. yeah.
time for independent management? Well, it's a hard time, I think, for independent management companies because, well, it's good. Yeah, it is a good time. Um, it's a hard time, but it's always hard. It's never easy. Um, the big difference, I mean, there are a lot of differences now. If you're starting now from scratch, obviously, that it's easier to get an act, and in a way, it's easier to get an act heard because the processes are there and the technology is there and the platforms are there. Um, but the competition is greater, so the act that you're trying to get across has to be really, really, really good. And is it becoming even more? This is, this is something I've yeah. spoken to a lot of people about, especially in the in the in the time of streaming and yeah. and label services and things like that. Is it even more so than it has ever been about quality? Yeah, think? not exclusively, but yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah, to just. To get your head above yeah. the sea of stuff yeah. that is... I think there was a point you could get away with being good, but I don't think you can anymore. I think you have to be more than good. Mm -hmm. But I think you also have to have other... There's other things to consider because we came from... Um, we came from a... Uh, you know, our roots were... Am I allowed to swear? Um, faceless technobollocks. So the whole idea was that <laughs> no one really cared what you looked like. No one really cared who you were. Everyone cared how... It was all about the music. Yeah. So obviously that's kind of gone now because you can't be faceless anymore. You have to think about all the other facets too. Mm -hmm. The visual side of things is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, how you look, what you know, all those things become essential. But there, there's, there's something... Mr. I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of music yeah. in the past few years and the best way I can describe it is it's fine. Yeah. And there's this just massive amount of, of stuff yeah. that's just it's just fine. It's all right. Yeah. It's it's not it's not yeah. awful. Yeah. But it it doesn't. You have to be able to stand out, and and obviously the traditional way of standing out is by being absolutely amazing. Mm. Uh, and then there are other ways to stand out, which uh, you know, which come with the visual side of things, or the vibe, or the attitude, or the you know, it depends on the it's very genre specific how you roll that out, and um, and obviously if you're managing a you know, if you're in the hip hop world, you know, the way you get noticed is different from if you're in yeah. the, you know. Um, so you have to get noticed um, and probably having very good music isn't enough anymore. So as a manager, I think if you were, you know, you have to be able to build a visual brand or, a, mm -hmm. you know, um, and thinking kind of multi-platforms as well. Do you have signing <coughs> targets? each year do you kind of go right we want to bring on no. two or three more apps this year no or, not really or... we have financial targets obviously right. now um, that we have to hit but for instance you could uh, potentially hit that with all of we could hit that with, that you in theory got. I mean in theory <coughs> you could hit that with one client I mean in practice that's almost impossible no but um, uh, yeah I mean so it is it's not about oh we have to bring in four acts a year or whatever but if, if after 12 months you haven't signed anyone that's no, no bad no, thing no, you, no. You, yeah. you work with the people yeah. that you want to yeah. work with rather than yeah. an obligation yeah. to oh god we've got the yeah absolutely and um, and it's very much a team effort I think the days of you know of the lone manager and the band is probably come to an end I think it's impossible to do and I think Part of the reason why we work is my business partner moved to LA. When we did the deal, um, he has a team there, I have a team here. So one of us is always up, someone's always handling stuff. Um, it's very much become a team thing. It's a group effort. P different people bring different qualities and abilities to the process of managing an artist. 
Um, How many people have you got in the Bristol? So this, I've got five uh, staff in Bristol office. Right. And then we have a sort of um, hope ecosystem in the red light office in LA where my business partner has another four. Um, some of the clients we manage together, some we don't. A lot of our clients are actually US-based. A lot of my clients are US-based. Mm-hmm. Um, so your, your Bristol team, your yeah. five-person yeah. strong yeah. Bristol team, yeah. has a roster of... We have about 11 or 12 artists. Okay, so that's... so Okay. Yeah. So um, it's two managers, myself and uh, Chapman Gerard. Each of us has a day-to-day assistant. And we have one other person dealing exclusively with logistics, so flying and visas and travel and shipping and all I'm that sure it's going to get more fun which is yeah well, well, well exactly as things change <laughs> um, and um, um, then we have someone else who kind of just deals with the money okay yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that's fairly standard across the board and everything um, like that yeah it kind of is yeah yeah it kind of is um, don't you're not getting to a point where you're thinking you need more or maybe no, you need no. to downsize or no. anything like that. No, you've I think we're nice... all right. I mean, obviously, the more staff you bring in, the more money you've got to bring in. And the more money you bring in, the more clients you've got to bring in. <coughs> yeah. And the more clients you bring in, you then sort of think, well, probably could do with another staff member. But then, obviously, as it's a commission business, you have to kind of balance that out all the time, yeah. you know. What does day-to-day life look like for you? So, uh, random... Arbitrary Tuesday. A random arbitrary Tuesday. <laughs> well, middle of the week, uh, I'm often in London. One of the benefits of not being in London um, is that I go to London and I make sure I go and see people and I go to their office and I sit down and I talk to them and therefore they remember. I'm seeing me. more people being more up for that. Especially yeah. when it comes to management companies or even independent record yeah. labels, is that they're going, I'm going to do that from outside London and I'm going to go in yeah. and specifically yeah. deal with people on maybe one or two days a week yeah. rather than have an office yeah. there. Yeah. But obviously it's become very expensive to do that. So, but you, you know, you've got to be there. I think when the internet arrived, we all thought, you know, we could work from anywhere and you still can. I mean, the dance, the thing about the dance music thing is that it isn't based around capital cities. It is based around, mm-hmm. um, you know, non-central places, but the rest of the music world and the media world has centralized entirely to London and LA. But again, it doesn't mean that you need to be there. Doesn't you need, but yeah, there's nothing like being there though. So either, um, so you kind of, I think you have to work that extra mile. And I sort of see it as a luxury that I've been able to stay in Bristol. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pound the streets in London a couple of days a week. But I think, I mean, it does depend on the location that you're in, isn't it? You know, yeah. Places like Bristol or Manchester or even Brighton are quite cultural and creative hubs. Yeah. Whereas somewhere else, Nottingham or yeah. something like that, isn't necessarily as thought of in the same no. kind of second city yeah. Bracket. Yeah, I mean, I guess Bristol's. I mean, the vibe around Bristol's changed, and certainly ten years ago, when you spoke to people in the industry, they didn't really know where Bristol was, or you know, they were kind of a bit vague on it. But obviously, that's changed now with a lot of people moving to Bristol from London and so Mm -hmm. on. So, um, I guess the city you're in can definitely have an impact on the way you're perceived as well, and how that needs to. Yeah. And then, because a lot of my clients are based in. In LA, you know, I will tend to my mornings will be quite busy, 
and then there's sort of a lull where um, you know I can think about stuff and work out plans and actually have a bit of peace and quiet and then um, and then after about three in the afternoon it just goes you know it goes full speed ahead to about sort of I don't know eleven thirty at night or something when everyone's so you up. don't necessarily have a nine to five. Well, no, my clients don't have a nine to five, so I can't have a nine to five either. And, you know, one of my DJ clients, you know, he's in India this week, you know, he was in Central America two weeks ago. He's in, you know, so I've got to kind of keep up with him because he's yeah. going to want to keep talking to me. Doesn't mean I need to be up for 24 hours, but. <laughs> which is nice. Which is nice. <laughs> um, but you've got you to be flexible, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then you've got to balance that with, you know, the rest of your life and i managed to achieve that by being in bristol obviously so, yeah you know. so you say that it's kind of full tilt from three and busy in the morning yeah. what does that involve what does what does busy well busy in terms of having um you know this well there's two sides to this there's more than two sides to this job but you can generally lump things into two categories and one is conversations with your clients directly yep. about day-to-day stuff things that need to get done, things you want to get done, how this is going to look, how the next six months are going to look. So um, they involve having conversations with your clients in the correct time zone, depending on where your client is. So those are quite busy. Um, And then, uh, so that's emails, phone conversations, you know, conference calls, um, that kind of thing. Um, Is that kind of advising or is that just making sure the the calendars are on point, that they know where they need to be and when, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, that's it, more, well no, it's more... I mean, it's strategizing. It's, it's all those things, really. Absolutely right. all those things. So one of my clients, um, you know, he's just finishing the second album, as I mentioned at the start. So uh, just to kind of run you through what's going on at the minute. So we're working out how we're going to announce the album, how we're going to launch the album, how we're going to tour the album... Uh, we don't have a record deal in some territories, so that still needs to be worked out to fit the schedule. So that involves flying different places to have conversations of meetings. Um, uh, then dealing with all the agents, you know, the US agents, Australian agents, you know, the European agents to work at this tour and kind of get the right shows in and get the right, you know, then that, all that tour needs to be budgeted so that at the end the client's actually making money. Um, and um, then kind of rolling into how the rest of next year is going to look in terms of festival routing. And yeah, so it, it's everything is right down to the smallest detail of um, how we're going to make 25 European dates, A, sell out uh, and B, profitable. Um, and those, those sorts of conversations are happening between you and your client and then separately with, separately with various me, other me people. And all, exactly right. Yeah. Or you're not kind of going, right, let's all get on board <coughs> no, and no, no, chat exactly, together. Yeah. No, exactly right. So it's all, yeah. it's all separate. Yeah, yeah. And it's having that strategy and then um, convincing everyone else and the teams that it's the correct strategy mm-hmm. and then implementing that strategy. How often does it change? The strategy? <laughs> Yeah. Um, it can change because obviously suddenly client would go oh, I don't want to do that or you know this or that or you know or you know something will happen that's out of your control so therefore you know you have to be able to move things around mm-hmm. someone who you respect will say well I don't sure I'd do it like that I'd probably do this and this and you think about it maybe that's the right idea and you know and it's all um, so it can change and obviously there's no 
there's absolutely the thing about the music business is there's no right or wrong way to do any yeah, of it yeah, totally. so um, you have to do what you think is best with the tools that you're given mm-hmm. and the power and leverage that you have at that point that all has to kind of meet your artist's expectations so yeah it can change all the time Your background's in dance music, yeah. and you're still predominantly in electronic music yeah. and dance music, but you have had the opportunity yeah. to branch away yeah. from it. Yeah. What has that has that post has that brought up some challenges? Has that kind of gone, oh okay, well this thing that I've done this way for twenty odd years, I've got a completely it's definitely different... well it's a completely different world. So the non dance world, I mean every genre operates very differently from the next genre. Um the biggest challenge for me was quickly would yeah. you say it's very very difficult for a, a single artist manager to have a roster of an indie band a folk singer a dance act and uh, it's a challenge because it's about the people you know so um, you know there's a lot of people in dance music that I've known over the years and I, you know, I know how it works when I moved into another genre I was suddenly faced with having to start from scratch right. Um, having the red light name attached to me made that easier because a lot of people I was dealing with, you know, cards on the table, a lot of people I was dealing with assumed that I, you know, I kind of knew, I knew what I was doing, yeah, frankly. Yeah. Um, and in the kind of, in this new world that I was in, I didn't really, I had to kind of bluff it a bit. There's a lot of bluffing in management. Um, <laughs> And pretend I knew what I was doing, and then I knew how to kind of route live tours and that kind of thing. So, um, but you never stop learning on the job. Doesn't matter who you are. I mean, that's you know that's the nature of this whole business is that everyone is only just one step ahead of you know themselves. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, you're we're all kind of on the brink, looking, trying to work out how to do this and how to do that. So, it is definitely it is quite a hard switch to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much easier sticking to a single genre, having an act that works really well, um, and then finding another act that would work in a similar world and just yeah. plugging them into the system you've got. Um, that's a much easier way to do it and it's probably a much more profitable way of doing it um, because of my decision to freshen things up a bit. Uh, I had to kind of relearn an awful lot, you know. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the long quick, road, definitely. Especially how, thing, how quickly things are moving yeah. as well. Is yeah. that it's kind yeah. of, it, I would always say that it's for the betterment to make sure if you just kind of sit back and go, yeah, I've, I've got this covered. Yeah. You're suddenly, you're, you're putting yourself in a position. The to moment you do it. that, it's over. Yeah. The moment you go, oh, I, this is, I know exactly what I'm doing. It's done. Because, yeah, and you, <laughs> overnight you're dead. So. so does that mean that some of those acts that aren't, are not in the electronic world are the ones that you're kind of you're launching for want of a better word you haven't jumped on acts that are kind of two or three albums in or anything no like well I ended up kind of so this newer. client I came across this client through various you know and just completely fell in love with it and actually it's worked quite well I mean because I'm very lucky that everybody loved it as much as I loved it which obviously makes the job an awful lot easier what about it did you like or did you love just the what voice, the song, the, just the, the structure, it, just, it really stood out. I was like, oh, actually, this is really good. And then I went to see him play, and I could immediately see that there was a real sort of star quality there. And, you, you know, if you find an artist that 
you know, he'd worked really hard to reach that point and it had taken him about eight years. So it's definitely about getting involved with an artist at the right time because you can get involved too early. So this was someone who, this is an artist who's been plugging away yeah. on their own? Yeah, on their own and with different people. And, and he ended up working with someone that we already managed. And so I discovered him through that. And but you, you're effectively his first proper... No, he had been managed before in a previous life and it hadn't worked out. He'd already been signed and it hadn't worked right. out. Which normally kind of, you know, can send alarm bells ringing, but somehow didn't in this instance. Which so we've good. already discussed if you think the quality of the yeah. product is good enough. Yeah. You know, maybe four years previous, the quality of the product wasn't, wasn't as good right. and all exactly. that sort of yeah. stuff. So yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, timing isn't necessarily yeah. jumping on it as quickly as possible. It's no. jumping yeah. on it at the right time. At the right time, yeah. So for an artist like that... What are the aims? What are you trying to achieve? You know, what is your, what, what's the strategy, I guess, in the um, nicest way possible? You know, are you looking to get him signed again? Or is it very much, I you know, let's keep this... Well, he is signed. He'd done one album. It's worked pretty well. It's worked pretty well in Europe. It hasn't worked at all well anywhere else due to right. a set of reasons. Um, wrong label, this and that. Type. So on... So it's, it's now about it. building on, expanding to this territory, trying to expand to the territory where it hasn't worked, like America or Australia, using the momentum of what's already happened in Europe to do that mm -hmm. and using the momentum of a second record to, you know, refresh the whole, refresh yeah. the process, get everyone excited again and hopefully put him in a position whereby, you know, he's a long-term artist. He's not looking for a quick buck. You know, he's going to be writing songs forever in one capacity or another. So it's about helping him build a long-term, functioning, um, sustainable, profitable mm -hmm. setup. British artist? No, it's, well, it's Ryex, a guy called Ryex. So okay. He's Australian, but he lives in LA. Right. Um, For someone like that, yeah. whose music takes off in a territory that yeah. maybe not necessarily be the focus, yeah. what is that like to Matt? Because it's something that I talk to a few artists about, and they're you know they're they're British acts or yeah. anything like that, and they, in their head, they want as many people to, to listen to their music yeah. as possible. But because they're from the UK or anything yeah. like that, that equals, in you know where you live. Yeah. And they tend to not. It takes them. It takes artists, in my experience anyway, much longer to kind of wrap their head around. Well, you can be big in Germany, Austria, yeah. and Switzerland. Yeah if not bigger than yeah. you are here, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. How is it actually managing that situation, turning around to someone and saying, hey, you're going to be good in the Baltics, you're going to be big in the Baltics? <laughs> um, he's fine with it, because he's just pleased it's working. Right. And being big in Germany is no bad thing, because nope. you, you, know, you can make money there. They still buy um, physical records. Yeah. Well. Um, and it's worked here in the UK to a certain degree. Um, uh, he's fine with it. I mean, some clients obviously are different. He's not, he could be from anywhere. So it's not like he's, right. you know, obviously if you're dealing with a grime artist and, you know, no one in the UK cares, but, you know, the, you know but it's working in, I don't know, Italy or something, you know, there may be issues there. But ultimately, I don't think, I think most artists are just pleased that it's working and can see that as long as there's a constant sort of expansion. Do you think there is a, there's a, a definitive less artists are kind of for want of a better word chasing fame o over a career yeah I mean that's, that's what I see from, yeah. from people who are very young yeah. and looking to get in it they're, they're, they're seeing you know they're, they're going to 
arena shows and they're seeing 15,000 yeah. people. Yeah. They go, I want to be there. Yeah. And then realising that actually it's not as easy as that. Yeah. The UK is quite a small yeah. land mass. Yeah. And yet there's plenty of opportunities in other territories where yeah. maybe in the UK no one will ever yeah. know who you are, but you're selling out stadiums in, yeah, and yeah. things like that in, yeah. in European countries. It's, it's, a, it's a longer sell, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. a harder thing to yeah. wrap your head around as an yeah. artist. going to go, well, yeah. no one's going to know about you here, but you're still going to be, this yeah, is yeah. still your career, yeah. this is still yeah. your yeah. job. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so you, got, you haven't found that to be a, a difficult sell. I haven't He's very much a, I'm up for this. No, I no, not at all. I mean, I think the hardest sell for him has been the fact that all the travel that's involved in coming over here in the first place. Yes, that was going to be my next um, thing. How do you manage a guy who's out in Australia when you're not? Um, but he, lives, he, lives, he lives in, in LA. LA. So it's still a 13-hour... Yeah, hour. yeah. Um, but it's... Um, uh, you know, he's fine with it. And obviously we're all looking now to make sure the American thing works. And breaking a record in America is an incredibly difficult thing to do anyway. And he doesn't like to tour much. So he's never the guy who's going to get in a bus okay. and or so van. Not considering live music is kind of still the focus. Yeah, I mean it's not. He's just not. He's not into being in a van for eighteen months. Fair That's right. just not where his head's at. It's not that kind of a guy. So, so what do you do? Bearing in mind that live music is is still the the key area. Well, we do what we've done, which is we've done it in chunks. Um, it's an expensive way to do it. We've the strategy with him from the beginning has been we must always sell out. So in the f- even if we're doing 50 cap venues at the start, they have to be sold out. So I'd rather have 60 people trying to get to a 50 cap venue than 60 people trying to get to a 200 cap venue. Okay. So if you go down that... <coughs> so you're always road. looking to under... So we've always sold out, exactly right. You're underselling it as opposed to... We've always to kind of undersold it. And now we're at two, 3,000 cap venues... And we've sold all those out. Okay. So now we're upgrading again for next year. Obviously, it means no one's sleeping for the next eight months until the ticket counts are in. <laughs> um, but if you, you know, if you, you know, we've built this whole strategy with him. And again, you're building strategies, not because you're sat there like some demonic, um, whatever strategy building, you know, whatever crazy man, you're building strategies based on what you've got, and you've got an artist who doesn't particularly like to tour. He likes to perform, he likes to tour. Right. Um, you've got an artist who had essentially no radio, and you've got an artist who's had essentially no press, but you've got an artist who is selling out shows and has built his entire reputation on playing shows. And people come away from those shows and just go, Oh my god, that was amazing, and then they tell their mates, and that's how basically that. And Spotify playlisting have been the two things that have driven this to where it is now, right. where we're now doing, you know, um, what we're doing the Barbican in October and then Royal Albert Hall next year. So we're kind of at that process yeah. now, uh, at that place now. Um, How were the agents on getting on board when, it, when you were trying to undersell? Well, the, see, that's, the that's the thing, because we were, again, I mean, you cannot underestimate the power of luck because... We were lucky enough to find the right agent. A lot of agents would have gone. I was going to say, they always want to go... Yeah, a lot of agents would go, oh, you want me to look after an artist who doesn't really want to tour um, <laughs> and a, doesn't like nice to be away from home. And, but we found an amazing agent um, very quickly, very luckily. 
Natasha Bent at Coda, who specialises in artists who are very artistic and like to be difficult and really feeds off that. It's an interesting pigeonhole that she's... Yeah, well, she loves it. And she has, and she, you know, she looked after first aid kit and for the first seven years they refused to tour at all. Um, Which is an interesting story. She believed, a, yeah, she believed in the client. She was willing to wait, and that's how she's always done it. And we were super lucky that she wanted to get on board as quickly as she did. Cause she wanted to get on board before anything happened. She heard the music. I mean, it was one of those, you know, never send anyone a SoundCloud link because they won't respond. I sent her a SoundCloud link, and she was on the phone before she got to the end of the track. So we kind of we knew that that was you know we went to see all the other agents do all the meetings but you know, it, kind of, it's, it still shows that if the quality if the quality if the quality there, of the music, the music yeah, yeah doesn't yeah. matter if it's yeah. a SoundCloud link yeah. or if you've done all yeah. the work yourself and you're on playlists and all that yeah. sort of stuff if the quality is there yeah. and people will listen to it yeah and you kind of go wow I'm going to and people will make a decision in the first 20 seconds I mean they just will so um, you know don't put all the good stuff at the end of the song Stick it at the start. You know, and then we were very lucky because we got a sync super quickly, which obviously we hadn't planned for either. And that that helped drive things, you know, quite quickly. Um, but again, that sync arrived because uh, the quality of the music was so high that, you know... the Was the, that from you pushing it or was that just a random... No, it was fairly random, if I'm honest. I mean, I yeah. wish... I, you know, it's not like we said, right, we've got to get a big sync. We, that's how we're going to set this thing up. Um, um, you know, something popped in. We're looking for this. We sent them the track. It happened fairly quickly. Okay, so you still sent them the oh, track yeah, based yeah. on a brief. It wasn't yeah. like a music supervisor had found... No, no, it was like... A, a, you know, it was someone who'd worked with Jose Gonzalez on the previous campaign for the same brand wanted something that vaguely fitted in the, that ballpark. Okay. We sent the track. Um, so there was still an element of curation on your part. Yeah, yeah. Which is nice to yeah. know that. that yeah. Again, it's kind of the quality's there. Yeah, yeah. You've obviously yeah. jumped on the right thing at the yeah. right time yeah. and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So yeah. it, it wasn't... Um, and that then, that then defines your strategy because then, then you've got that going on and then yeah. you've got to, you know, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, you have to have an you have to have a vision, you have to have a strategy, but you have to be a hundred percent flexible enough to rip it all up, throw it away because something will happen that you haven't really banked on that will either be a massive help or a massive hindrance, depending on what it was. Yeah. Before Rai was signed to Infectious, we did that deal. Rai was signed to a very small Swedish label called Dumont Dumont, who picked him up via SoundCloud actually uh, and who'd originally done the Jose Gonzalez stuff and are now doing the Charlie Cunningham record um, and it was through their connections actually that that um, sync for early sync for Berlin uh, began to take shape um, their whole business model was is to discover things and then sign them on essentially so they have no interest in being a big label or growing particularly, they're doing things very slowly uh, and in very small steps. And it was an integral part of who Rai was at the time and his relationship with the business. Uh, he was originally signed to Jive as a pop artist before all this, before we met him and before Jumont Jumont, he hated it so much that he felt he needed control over every aspect. Uh, and so they were the perfect label for him. <laughs>
the current industry, what do you think are the, the qualities that artist managers need? Again, well, it kind of depends who they're managing because I think, um, you know, I'm thinking now of um, a chap called Mark Bent who, who manages Idols. Okay. Um, who's, in fact, Natasha Bent's brother. So, Ryax is agent's brother. So, he is, he's a Bristol boy and he managed you know, Idols, I'm sure you're aware of. Yep. And he managed them for about six years and nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened. And then suddenly it happened. And obviously they're flying now. So patience and his greatest quality would definitely be, and I think if, if you speak to the band, it was the fact that he was loyal and he stayed there and he kept at it and he kept believing in it and it would work. Um, and um, he never let go of the dream. <laughs> but he didn't. He kept going. And, you know, and people were like, this is, this is, you know, this is not, you know, people are looking at him going, look, there's a bunch of, you know, 30-something punks in Bristol, maybe you should, I don't know, do something else, whatever. And he stuck to it, and it's worked, and it's flown. And I think he's learned an awful lot doing that, and I think that loyalty has paid off. Yeah. Some artists, you know, I guess, want you to be able to, you know, get in the Super Bowl within the first five minutes of meeting you, and, uh, and, and, and if you're not able to deliver that, um, then it might be quite a short relationship. But I think you have to... You have to understand, you know, to be a manager, I think you have to have been through, you know, I was a promoter, I've run a record label, I was in an awful band in the 80s. You know, I've kind of been through different processes, so I kind of understand how people think or what's required or what the parameters are. Um, and I think that's been very useful. Do you think uh, the skill sets for artist managers have changed over the you know, over the decades since it first started um, or do you think the principles are still ultimately the, the principles same? are the same basically you um, just have to manage your client things. wants you to deliver something that will help them build their business and that your job is to build their business mm-hmm. and um, you can build a business through loyalty and perseverance and um, so on and 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 you probably will, and that's a long, work, long way around to do it. And yep. you can also build a business by knowing everyone that you need to know and being able to make five phone calls. And you know, if you're starting off, clearly your address book's probably going to be quite thin. So you, you know, the loyalty and perseverance thing is is an essential part of it. Um, having a job in the music business, even if it's not being a manager is quite useful because it helps you build those contacts and those details. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can only really be a manager once you're managing people. So you, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to learn there as a, uh, as a human being, um, learning how to deal with people, how to get the best out of people, how to, you know, you have to be able to go back to your clients and go, you know, not be the yes guy or the yes woman and go, look, that's not going to work. This isn't any good. That needs to change. And you need to be able to go back and, you know, and I, so I think the skill set's essentially the same. Yeah. Uh, and the knowledge you learn while you're doing it, you know. And if you can shadow someone who's already doing it or, you know, copy someone's address but while they're not looking, <laughs> uh, then it will probably speed the process up. Export. <laughs> CSV file. <laughs> You know. Um, last one. Yeah. Or last kind of part A and part B. Toughest 
part of the job, most pleasurable part of the job? Toughest part of the job is still building a client from scratch. And... Um, That's quite a lot of that. Yeah, there is, it's actually harder work than when your client's successful. And um, trying to get people, broader people in the industry, record companies, publishers, to care about your client. Um, Can you get around that more easily now, though? Because, for instance, you know, if the quality's there, yeah. you don't necessarily need to vibe up with record labels. You just engage with AWOL or Ditto or... Sure, you engage with AWOL. Guys, and it's the same with... But it's publishing. the same. But then, you know, AWOL aren't really going to push it for playlists unless they can see other people. You know, nobody, nobody wants to stick their head up. But again, but it's it's kind of if you're looking for someone to put the record out, well, you can put the record you out. Can put the record out. I mean, people are putting uh, thousands of records out a week, but no one's <laughs> listening to them. That's the point. Very, very, very <laughs> you you got to get people to listen to it. That's the key, isn't it? And you've got to have a team around you. You've got to have people who are, you know, who want to make it happen. Uh, and just to go back to the Mark Ben thing, because it's just been fascinating for me to watch. Now that it's successful, obviously everyone's going. Love the idols, brilliant, brilliant band, brilliant band. <laughs> and, um, you know, probably including me, I was like, I've spent years thinking, oh, it's a tough gig you're doing there, man. And, and obviously now it's flying, you, you know, it changes. People love, people love stuff to be happening. If stuff's happening and there's this kind of success in the air, everyone's really positive and really cool about it. It's very hard to get people to... It's still listen. quite reactive. Yeah, it is very reactive. And yes, you can put their stuff out for AWOL, but AWOL aren't going to go above and beyond in terms of anything unless they can see that those people who are over there are really into it and this is happening. And the first question anyone will ask you is like, who's the agent? And then they'll ask you like, where they're gigging? And then they'll ask you what they're doing. And, you know, so that I think that's the hardest bit. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and I've had two clients from scratch. One is Ride, the second one is just coming up now. And I don't think I'm going to take them anymore because it is an awful lot of work. And it's awful lot of work with no money in it, obviously. That's the key there. No, that's... that's, that's nothing wrong with a lot of work because it was paying you at the end of it. Well, it's... it's uh, <laughs> a few other friends of mine in, in management have said that, that you know, one of them got very, very lucky very, very early, whereby one of the first things he did was just sign on the line for a sink. Yeah. And you kind of go, oh, that's nice money. That's nice yeah. 20% that you yeah. just make for just signing yeah. something. And he goes, well, yeah, but that offsets the months and months and months Month, that you do stuff. with other things yeah, yeah, totally. that pay nothing. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to kind of take yeah. the rough with the smooth. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're still in a position where you're kind of, it does get to a point where you go, I'd love to work with this, but I just can't. Yeah, and I, you know, we, we do turn a lot of stuff down and, and you know, there's a <clears throat> thing that managers say, which is, you know, which I don't think they're ready because really everyone's kind of waiting. You know, once an artist looks like they're about to blow up, obviously everybody wants to be part of it. Um, and it also depends what kind of artist you're managing because if you're managing singer-songwriters for a want of a better description, um, there's nothing there until they have a hit. If you're managing DJs, um, you know, DJs are much easier to manage because even a DJ at the bottom of the food chain comes home with 100 quid in their pocket uh, after playing DJing in a pub, whereas that doesn't happen for live music. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's all about who you're looking after too. So that's and the toughest bit. So that's the toughest. So end on a end on a high note. Most pleasurable. Most pleasurable. Most pleasurable is when it works. Obviously, and then people go, "Oh, I love this guy. This is brilliant. This is amazing." You know, and then you, you know, and then you go and do a tour and it sells out. 
and um, everyone's happy. <laughs> everyone's happy. Clients are happy. Agents are happy. You know, crew are happy. Audience are happy. It, I, you know, I, I was a promoter for a long time, and I was a promoter. This is going to sound really awful, but it's true. I was a promoter because I just liked making people happy. I like throwing parties and everyone just having a good time, and and I that's I still get a kick out of that. Yeah. And you know, people, it's lovely when you put stuff out and people care, and because then the artist is happy too, and you know he's making some money and the audience are loving it, and you know. Do you get moments like that? On a weekly basis, do you think, or is no, it no. much more? Much, well, no, because again, no. It, it depends on the schedule. Yeah. And all that no, you don't. Stuff, you get you know ten months of knocking around, oh, yeah, <laughs> and then two months of oh yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and it's also the the, the pleasure of it is the most important thing is that your clients happy because your clients, you know, saying to you, "Well done, you've done really well there," then obviously it validates all the other nonsense you've had to deal with. Nice. You know. Good way to end. Yeah. Thank you very much. No worries, any time. <laughs>